Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Climb Four Podcast. Today my guest is Andrew Peterson. Andy and I have known each other for over 10 years now. He's a great guy and a really good friend. We were back in Buds together, SEAL qualification training together, but for Andy, life it seems had different plans. This is his story, so I'll let him tell it. And this is the Climb Four Podcast. I'm on mute. Hey, what's up, man? And you're on mute. I did the same thing, so you're good. Only because I did it. Am I cool with you doing it? <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes, dude. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I even have the headset this time. Perfect. Yeah, so it's that was my bad for the last one. Um, what, what everyone doesn't know is PD and I, we spoke for like an hour and a half, two hours a couple of days ago, and that was going to be the recording. And I go back to listen to it, and you can hear me perfectly clear, but because I went through a different medium than Zoom, um, it didn't record any of your audio. Like, you sound like a faint whisper, like, in the background. You're like, there's my story. And it's, it, was, it was crap, so that was on me. Um, but thank you for, uh, for coming back, dude, um, and doing this again so quickly. Uh, again, like, I don't know what direction it's going to take, but uh, the same problem. No, you might just ask different questions. You might get different stories. No, I want <laughs> exactly <laughs> what you did before. Exactly. Do not deviate from the plan, please. No, but, you know, the prompt is, is the same. And, uh, you know, with that, I'll just ask, like, so, you know, what branch of service were you in? How long were you in for? And, and what prompted you to go that route? You know, starting kind of from – you know, early childhood or whatever, whatever you want a starting point you want it to be. But uh, why'd you go into the military? Like, why'd you want to do what you wanted to do? I was in the United States Navy for four years. And the purpose of going into the Navy was to become a Navy SEAL. Okay. And uh, how did that, how did that path kind of play out? Uh, it's, it was nothing profound. It was just my, my dad was in the Navy. He always talked up the SEALs. I watched a lot of Sylvester Stallone movies, including Rambo. Naturally. And so uh, that's actually, <laughs> it's funny because that's why I remember in first grade was the first time I ever seen first blood. And I thought, well, I want to learn how to do that stuff. So I went and joined the Cub Scouts figuring that it was going to be like that. And I was always disappointed. And uh, it, it wasn't until we got to Kodiak, Alaska survival school. I'm like, okay, well now this is where I wanted to be in first grade. So yeah. it was like a dream come true. You're, you're but, sick uh, of and, and watching Rambo just massacre dudes. And you're like, that's what I want to do. That's me. That is so <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, I, I firmly believe there's more people like me who went through that program than they want to admit, but nobody wants to admit that it's that stupid of a reason. It's like, <laughs> if you look at the inspiration that kind of moves people to do things, that it's, I think it goes deep, right? But that, that catalyst is actually, like you said, it's like quite, quote unquote, stupid. Like it's a Van Damme movie. Like my, most of my life and my formations of like what I think a man is was entirely built around Schwarzenegger, um, Van Damme, like all these like, you're more manly than man, Tango and Cash. Have you seen Tango and Cash? I have not seen that oh, one. Dude, what? You will love it. Big Trouble in Little China. You know, like I just sent out a meme the other day about the check is in the mail. You know, like I fucking love that movie. Um, but these like more masculine than masculine kind of types were, uh, were what drove me to act a certain way and to become a certain thing. So what's more manly than a Navy SEAL? Pretty much nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought. Um, but anyway, yeah. So your dad spoke very highly about it. And, and that kind of prompted you to be like, okay, cool. Like 
it's almost like validating, right? Like you're like, well, I'm really into this thing. Oh, and my dad, what's your relationship? What was your relationship like with your dad? I had a great relationship with my dad. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have too much in common. Uh, so, so there was overlap, right? Like we were both pretty good athletes. He was a little bit better than I was, but different sports. He was a huge hockey player, and I just did wrestling, football, track, swimming, all that other stuff. But yeah. uh, we, we got a we got, yeah we got along great. It was just you know he was really into music, and I was really into hunting. He didn't really care for that. He did nothing against it. He just thought it was boring. So got along good, just uh, not a whole lot in common in terms of that. That's, uh, I think that's actually – well, I don't know how common it is, but I know for me, you know, I didn't really – my dad wasn't really around growing up um, for whatever reasons. And whenever we did kind of meet up throughout different points in my life, you know, not until, not until I started having some personal issues, did he really start to open up. And at that point, we actually had quite a bit in common. Uh, maybe not the commonalities that, that people would want to have, you know, some of the, um, character defect type stuff, some of the, um, uh, some of the addiction stuff, like actually a lot of it, you know, the hereditary type things, but growing up, it's like, he was really into geology and I'm like, that's the most boring shit on the planet to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> like he, uh, we just, we never, we didn't really have anything in common. So I don't know, it's kind of interesting to me that you're like, yeah, we just, you know, we got along great, but you guys wanted to be like different types of men, you know, know. just kind of interesting. Um, so, but his, uh, his validation for what you wanted to go into was, um, was something that it seems like you guys did have a common. And what did that feel like? Did that, did, was that somehow more promoting than just the fact that he liked the Navy and spoke highly of the SEALs of the fact that he was validating well, he, what he wanted to do? He always wanted to be one. Um, but oh. he made some decisions while in the Navy that, uh, inhibited him from even getting the shot. Now he openly always said that he never would have made it, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he, he's, it, it was always a, a pipe dream that he always had. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think he said that? Why do you think he said he never thought he would make it or knew he wouldn't make it? Just the sheer numbers of it. Yeah. He wasn't, um, You know, I think I think we talked about this last time where people build up where you have to be this mythological figure that doesn't exist in order to make it through. Like you said, walk on water. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, that's exactly. So I, what, one of the things I shared was when I very first went to recruiter and I walk in there and I'm, you know, 147 pounds. I've been doing marathons. I think I hadn't done like an ultra yet, but I was really like cardio in shape gym rat in shape and uh they're like so what do you want to do i'm like navy seal and they literally laughed at me and they said you realize you need to be able to pretty much walk on water to be a navy seal and i was like are you a navy seal i already knew the answer <clears throat> well then i'm like well then how the fuck do you know that you know, like, <laughs> well, where is this coming from exactly but it's coming from like you said the the mythology of it kind of the lure of it you know we'd find out later or i would find out later on that you have some extremely capable people in the teams um, but sometimes the people that make it through are, are quite, and I'm going to say the word ordinary, quite just nothing spectacular, I think about us. And that's, that's where the real magic is, is you have these guys with just an uncommon desire to succeed. That is what makes us extraordinary. And, and you, you went into that and you made it very, very far along. And, but sometimes, you know, kind of life happens. Um, I don't want to jump too far ahead and, and start to get into your story. 
but is the fact that your dad did not make it through or did not try, did that propel you even further forward? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. There was a, I always felt bad and never got into the hockey um, because that's what he was really into. I never, I never did. I never got, I was, I was a terrible skater. Why'd Um, Why'd you feel bad about it? It was one of those things where I could tell he wanted to pass on and he never guilted me of this, by the way, this is all internal. Yeah. But I just, I I felt bad because, well, so I was born pigeon toed. My feet were inverted. Um, Like Forrest Gump, I had those little braces on. And so I was, uh, that with a lack of coordination prevented me from being a very good skater. Granted, I'm sure if I stuck with it, I could be proficient, but I was, it, it, it got to the point where I was so bad at it. I just wasn't interested in it. So we didn't have that in common, but he always, yes. Oh, well, I was gonna ask, oh, I thought you were raising your hand. <laughs> I, no, I did. Yeah. I, I've never done that like on camera before. So I felt weird. I felt weird um, at what age did you have these braces on and did you get made fun of for that? Like, what was that? What was that experience like? I've never heard this before, by the way. I've known you for how long? Now? Well, um, <laughs> not, now that I'm out of the Navy, I can say it because, you know, when you go into the Navy, you're, you're not allowed to have anything wrong with you. you um, so, oh God, I was like three years old up into the age of probably six or seven. Okay. I had these uh, quote unquote magic shoes <laughs> and, and, and it sucked because uh, my mom always made fun of me. She said when I ran, it looked like a little egg beater because my, my feet were inverted towards each other and just uh, over and over. And I would constantly trip and fall. I always had grass stains and holes in my jeans. Yeah. Playing the game of tag sucked because I would always get it and I could never catch anyone, but I always wanted to play. So maybe that uh, built into the spirit of constantly getting up and never quitting. Oh, no doubt. Dude, that's well, like you think about it, fucking hilarious story, by the way. I love your mom for making that joke about you. Um, never met her, but I already love her. And, um, but we look at like, you look at causes and conditions, right? You look at the early formations and you had this pretty, I don't want to say debilitating, but you know, you were unique and special in a way that, that, that nobody else around you was. Um, and you had to like deal with that and overcome that. So I think that played in huge and dude, like not knowing that before you and you and I have known each other for what, 10 years now. Yeah. Not knowing that story until now, it just, as something about that kind of like made a lot of stuff about you sink in. Um, like, well, yeah, that makes sense right yeah dude like of course he was mentally checked no i'm just kidding (laughs) but uh but a lot of your so what people don't know about you that i would just throw out there it's one of the more admirable traits that you have is um pd never lets anything get him down ever well that's not entirely true like life happens but there's that that kind of duality with you there's the front part that everyone sees which can be the fun loving but also interpreted as kind of immature but underneath that is someone who's actually quite intelligent. You have your economics degree, right? Someone who's actually quite wise. Um, you know, I remember I, I would try to pull stuff out of you. I'm like, we're not, we're not getting out of the car until Peterson has an opinion about this. And, uh, and when you would speak up, I'd be like, holy shit. Like, I, I just didn't expect that from you. Um, and I very much appreciated that contrast. So hearing this, uh, this Forrest Gump, inspirational egg beating story it just it it just makes so much sense because 
you had to deal with the, the bullshit of, of being different and, uh, and make the best of it. So I wonder where that make the best of it mindset came from. Was that from your dad? Was that from your mom? Was that from just, did you naturally respond to the world that way? Other people could have these braces on and think, man, I'm a piece of shit. Like, or I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm flawed, right? I'm going to hide. Like, I don't feel good about me. I feel uncomfortable about me. No, you know, I never really dissected it that much, but look, thinking back, uh, my mom and dad never made me feel like I was less than. In fact, it was the opposite. Like they always made fun of me. So like, they just made light of the situation. I'm trying to figure out how that's the opposite. Like, they never made me feel like shit, but they make fun of me a lot. So. No, no, no. So, so um, they, they never, like, if, if I fell down, they wouldn't coddle me. And so, Andrew, poor Andrew, like, you shouldn't even be running around out there. Why don't you come inside and uh, I'll spoon feed you some applesauce or something. Right. It was, uh, my dad would just like, yeah, you're, you're pretty slow. You should probably get faster. Yeah, man, I should work on that. I got a buddy, uh, Andrew Maher. You look like you look like a little egg beater out there, constantly tripping over yourself. <laughs> and, and I would laugh too. It was not like they would just ridicule me; like we would just all laugh about it. Right? No, it's that's that's so funny. Like you, you actually, get- um, I do have one more story. It's kind of like that, just yeah. to reflect how how this would go through my entire adolescent life. So eventually, I became a decent athlete. Right. Like I, I, the leg braces came off. I was on the varsity football team. Obviously um, I had some things physically going for me. It wasn't completely debilitating, but I remember when I was, when I walked home after losing the home game, homecoming game and football, I was like a junior year of high school and I come home and the door is locked and I, I ring the doorbell. I'm pissed off in my, in my pads, didn't even shower. And he says, only winners are allowed in this house. And I can hear him giggling behind the door. <laughs> and I said, Dad, you know, I'm not in the mood. We go back and forth. And he says, fine, I'm going to let you in. But don't even think about opening that refrigerator. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> right, because it's just it's just over the top, right? But not intentionally. Right. You know, it's, it was meant to be fun. And, uh, no, and, and then eventually I did find a note in my dresser um, telling me how proud of, he was of me. And if everybody worked on my team near half as hard as I would, we would go a lot further. But, uh, yeah, man. So there, there was the, the, the duality of it, like you said. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, it's like the joke. <laughs> and you know he's joking, right? Right. Like sometimes I, yeah, growing up, you know, you hear good job or, or whatever. But, like, the interpretation on my part would be like, well, I'm a fucking failure, like from a young age, right? So to have parents that, in this case, had kind of brought you up in a way to where, you know they're joking, right? And underneath that, that exactly like you put it, that, that kind of fun-loving, almost immature, like not apropos for the situation was the, uh, the more sincere message, which is, hey, man, uh, you're doing fantastic. You did a great job. You're part of a team. And, uh, and they re- appreciate love and respect you for that. So that's actually really cool, man. And I agree. Like ever since I've known you, you've always had that work ethic. And I think the way we put it in a previous discussion is – you always gave a shit. Like you always, you never stopped wanting to contribute, wanting to be a part of, um, you know, I think some of the delivery is, is what kind of ended up maybe screwing you over a little bit. Uh, but I don't want to get too, too far ahead of the story. So kind of bringing it back around your dad <clears throat> spoke highly of the Navy. You have this physical ability uh, and why, and then you have Rambo, right? So all this thing kind of coalesces perfect storm. And then you, 
hit what? How old were you? 18, 19 when you, uh, when you enlisted? I was a, so I was in the, in the delayed entry program. Right. Right. And for those of you who don't know that that's where you're like a junior in high school, you're 17 and you sign that little piece of paper promising to join the Navy. And they give you a little extra something sometimes for doing that, like a bonus or, or what have you. Yeah. So like, you know, for me, I was in debt as well um, because I'm like, Hey, I'm not going anywhere until I finish my degree. You know? And so it's just like, yeah, you're, you're in it, but you haven't sworn in, you haven't gone through MEPS or maybe you haven't gone through MEPS, but you haven't yeah. sworn in yet. So you're saying I'm committed and kind of sticking around and, and keeping hopefully out of trouble, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, and then that's just when you're super excited about the Navy. I was ecstatic about this. Basically all I could talk about was joining the Navy. You went in the recruiter and you're like Navy SEAL, you know, hashtag. What yep. are okay. And what then they, they said, they said, well, why don't you take the ASVAP? And I said, I took the practice ASVAP. I got like a 94 on the practice ASVAP. Really good. And then went down to maps, took the real thing. And then I didn't score as well. I got like, I think it was an 84. But there was, it was good enough where I could get a new contract. And I signed the new contract because I did it as a favor to the recruiter because they have to sign so many nukes up. They, they, they get their little bonus. But then I ultimately, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. So I th- brushed that one aside. I think I told you last time that caused some conflict with my dad because he saw the nuke program as a guaranteed long-term success in my life. And the pursuit of being a Navy SEAL as something that's unattainable and it's going to be disastrous because nobody makes it through. Right. So sound advice, obviously overarchingly incorrect, Um, but you signed the contract for, for Nuke. Do you think you actually signed it? I saw Keep in mind that was 10 years ago. I know I, I signed something saying I was going to be it with the understanding that I could get a seal contract to negate it. Okay. That's a big understanding. That's not on paper. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to get to this. Like, right. When you sign something, like if I signed something and said, look, I'll be a fucking housemaid, but you know, what I really want is this. They can look back and be like, well, here's what you signed. So go put your fucking housemaid uniform on and do housemaid things. So the, the part where you're like, well, I kind of just brushed it aside. That's the part I was curious about. Uh, Cause that doesn't really happen. <laughs> but you oh. know, it's, it, it's a mood point. Like you ended up going in. So I just thought it was kind of funny. But so at that point you were able to go into, you go into boot camp, um, and you were in the, uh, the diet motivator program. What was the process yep. boot camp after that until I think we met, which was, um, in pre-buds in, in Chicago, Illinois. Right. And so I met, uh, I don't know if he's in, so I'll call him, Petty Officer M. Um, him and his his older brother went in the program before. So the fact that his older brother did it, uh, we both knew it was attainable. Okay. And so he went to uh, Bayport High School. I went to Appleton East High School. We were the we graduated the same year. We actually became pretty good friends junior and senior year of high school because through meeting through the debt program. Okay. And all three of us were roommates in prebuds. And then that's where I met you because you were the guy who turned me in for talking while we were running. Yeah. You were a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's kind of a funny story. Um, All of my training to get into for the, uh, the seal program 
was well, I, I ran with the long distance track team and then I lifted weights with the football team. And I did that all summer because uh, I, I knew both of the coaches and they were both cool with it. And it was common practice for the long distance team to constantly talk while we were running just to kill the time. And then I, I knew you were keeping on pace. So stupid me thought, well, we're, we're not running in formation. We're just on this long distance run in uh, Bud's prep. I thought, well, let's just, let's just shoot the shit, right? This is, this is fun time. And it was, that was not the case. And uh, people didn't look fondly upon that. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't remember that exactly, but oh. I do remember the nonstop ass pain of being in a, and I'll use the term loosely, leadership position with a, dude, we had 250 of you guys at one point. It was Brian and I, we were doing the LPO, APO deal. We had 250 Petersons, right? So it's like we couldn't put it out enough, like dress out quickly, change out quickly and shut the fuck up. That's it. That's all you got to do. And then you're chatting it up like all chatty Kathy with who the hell knows. Like, But yeah, thank you for the ass pain. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, dude, what's, what would your take on the people we saw come in and the ones that we knew were going to make it. And then something changed when you get to the Island and, and it's like, now the Olympic gold medalist hopefuls don't make it. Now the, uh, the Titans of football, you know, the, um, I don't know, like all these like dudes with like this amazing, what I saw. The people who are way more qualified and on paper, they beat me 99 times out of a hundred. Uh, the, the conclude, I, I've, I've really wondered that quite often. And the conclusion I've come to is a lot of them don't know how to lose because they've, they've been used to dominating for so long. Yeah. And so, so like I I trained stupidly, right? Like going into it because I, I didn't have a very good uh, strength and conditioning coach or program. And so I would just watch Rocky training montages and try to mimic that. I remember after, Wrestling practice, I threw weights in a sled. So I grew up in Wisconsin, so it was snowy out. And I just loaded up a sled full of steel plates and pulled it around the block like many, many times after wrestling practice or after swim practice, I ran home. And that was about six miles away. And and these aren't good ways to train because it's not like a linear progression program, but it's just random bullshit that not many people are used to or tolerate. And so when you go into buds and it's not a linear progression program, it is a blunt force trauma and it is guessing games and it is just nonsense. And I think people who are highly polished and highly successful are used to a regimented linear progression. And that's the way it should be typically, but not in this case because they're trying to see what, how you interact with chaos and how you interact with everybody losing no matter what. And it's hopeless. And what are you going to do? And not many people have faced and Maybe they faced that a long time ago, but they forgot what that was like. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, man, there's so much that comes. I want to, I definitely want to spend a lot of time on this. Not, it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but it's fascinating to me because before I got to the teams, before I got to Buds, I lost quite a bit. 
um, I quit a lot of things. And I had so much guilt and shame around that. Remember the difference between guilt and shame? I think we talked about that. Guilt is, shame is I'm a bad person. Shame goes to the core. Shame is that engine that drives me. All right. Guilt is kind of shit that happens along the way. It's not a big deal. All right. I didn't perform as well, but that's not who I am. I'm a top performer regardless. I went in there having to overcome this notion that I'm a quitter. And, but look at the way that benefits could benefit people is if I go in there saying, dude, I'm going to overcome this because I don't have, I, I can't quit anything in my life anymore. It's just too much. It's too much mental and, and, and emotional heartache. Um, and I've always wondered, and we always do, who makes it, who doesn't. And I've thought that exact same thing. We, so when people that, people that don't know, when we're going through buds and even pre-buds, we have a, a bunch of scientists kind of running around and like giving us these, uh, fill out this form. Hey, you know, you know, Likert scales of, of completely agree to completely disagree, trying to gather all these metrics, right? Because they want to be able to forecast who's going to make it, who's not, thus save the military money, thus not, you know, give out as many contracts because what happens is 80% of people don't make it, right? So if you look at it from sheerly a manpower standpoint, how can we take that and cut it down? How can we make that 40%, 60%, 80% that do make it? Well, you'd think that uh, target selection would be the answer, but that still doesn't apply though. It's crazy because they're looking at the guys that hit the metrics. You do um, a team sport, something like wrestling, especially stuff like wrestling. You are of a certain age. You maybe have a degree, like all these different metrics, but still when they try to do that, the percentages are approximately the same. And what it comes down to, what I think, and I can't substantiate right now off the top of my head, is we are all built in with this ability to fight, flight, freeze, okay? Staying there and, and, and putting up your hip fist and being ready to throw or kind of just freezing in place are, are two things that will keep you there in buds, for, irrespective of the pass-fail test gates, right? Um, but that ability, that, that desire to get the fuck out of the situation is something that's ingrained in us. And I would, I would argue that it's probably somewhere between 60 to 80% of the population is going to naturally, naturally have this instinct that says, get away. Not, not, and not even necessarily in a bad way. I'm not looking at the saying it's like, I'm a quitter kind of deal. It's like, this situation is unsafe. I'm going to run. Right, because my brain sees this as a saber-toothed tiger trying to kill me. It literally translated like that. So getting away from the situation quickly is actually quite intelligent. But then we have people like us, for whatever reason, either because I know that running away is no, nothing I can ever do anymore, or we just we're hardwired that way. So yeah, I agree. I think very much so that if I'm used to winning all the time, then I get there and I start losing. If I don't have that mechanism or voice in my head that says, "Hey, man." This is just the way things are. I keep pushing forward. Then I'm not going to make it. That's, that speaks a lot to the maturity aspect because I think a lot of maturity comes. And this I know from working from, with uh, some of the special forces from other units, from other countries, is uh, they're typically a little bit older. Right? They have that understanding that, hey, you know, sometimes life is going to throw curveballs at you and you just got to keep moving. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. The, the other thing I've noticed – I remember when you come out of the surf zone and everybody's uh, shivering, right? Because everyone's, you're getting out of cold water and the instructors are walking up and down. There was, there was two things, two types of people I noticed. There was the people who would force themselves to stop shiver 
and be stoic when the instructor saw them and only let themselves go when the instructor looked away. And then there's the other type who they were, they were kind of cold. And when the instructor would get closer and get face to face, then they would really exaggerate. Oh, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. Wow. And I'm thinking, man, and I, I thought it was kind of funny. Like, man, they do not, they do not feel bad for you. In fact, in, in my mind, I would, I would try to make it seem like nothing would bother me. It like just to piss off the instructor. Right. Because that's the only way you can win. Like, no, this doesn't bother me. And as soon as they look away, then you can win. So like, Oh fuck, this is cold or this is painful. Yeah. That's... Actually there was a, <laughs> I do have another story that just reminded me of that. So there was the surf zone and then there was logs, right? So you're holding up the log and uh, there's a, you can say instructor. Uh, so I'll have to edit that out, but okay. Yeah, okay. Instructor, instructor V we'll call him. Okay. Instructor V. And he was a prior Marine. Uh, I think he was recon and then went to Navy SEAL. He was the type of instructor other instructors were afraid of, right? Huge dude. Let's, let's give this guy his due credit. Uh, yeah. Those guy. Just like, I don't know. The dude had to be 6'3", 6'4", 270, 300 pounds. Like, no joke. Like, a huge human being to begin with. But, yes, go ahead. Yeah. And, and I loved him, right? I, I loved I, – I always liked the really hard – instructors and the really scary ones um and i wanted to impress him so when he walked past us and he would slap people's hands and the reason every instructor slaps your hands and the reason why they slap your hands is because if you have tension on the log the slap will do nothing and if you're barely if you're cheese dicking it and you're just going through the motions your hands will fall off the log and then they will punish you well i'm i was at the end of the log and it's really hard to be at the end of the log because generally that's where the fresh guys go. And then as you get tired, you kind of rotate towards the middle. My hands were up and I would just act like, I mean, my, my shoulders were on fire bias. I looked at him right in the eyes. Like it's just another day. And he, he thought I wasn't paying attention. He slapped my hands. I just looked at him like, just another day. And he goes, Oh, Holy shit. He looks at my name. Take fucking Peterson. You think you're pretty tough. This looks pretty goddamn easy for you. Doesn't it? Who are you on instructor? Who instructor V? You can, who you are instructor V, you can edit that out. (laughs) And he said, he goes, I tell you what you can, since this is so goddamn easy for you, you can stay at the end of this log the entire time. And if I see you rotating, that is a nonverbal DOR. And so I stayed at the end of the log the entire time. And every time I saw him, I made sure just to have a slight smile on my face, like nothing bothering me, (laughs) but it really did. And I, and I hope that he thought, yeah, that kid's got it. Because that's what I would think yeah. if I was him. Right. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so going through the thing and then looking back, it's like, you know, how would I conduct myself? And being an instructor means being an asshole. Like there's no separation between the two. And you got to be, right? Because like you said, like the kids that are want or the kids, the people that are wanting their full grown men coming there and being like, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. And like, I just want to hug. I just want to know everything's okay. That I'm doing a good job. Am I doing a good job? Just tell me I'm doing a good job. And it's like, hey man, you're, you're a piece of shit. What are you doing here? It shouldn't be here. Get the fuck out of here. Right? How do they respond to that? They're trying to put out that light. So yes, I love the tough instructors as well. They scared the shit out of me because I'm like, these guys have probably taken out motherfuckers with a knife. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, when, they, when they see that you're not giving in to their bullshit, yeah, that's what I would want. That's what I would want in a candidate. Hey, man, no matter how much shit that I give you, you just take it and keep moving forward. I, we love that. I absolutely love that. Something I want to circle back to very quickly is you said uh, 
trading stupidly. I think there's a lot of intelligence behind just saying that. <laughs> I did the same thing. It's like I didn't have a coach. I didn't have this nicely polished linear progression, maybe in the gym, right? Because you had two and a half pounds about every week, you know, and you can put an extra rep in there. But, but not really. When it came time to grit and determination, I got up at three or four in the morning. I'd go for a run. It'd be cold as shit. Then I'd go for a swim. And then I'd work all day, school all day. And then, like, that was the daily grind. And that's the biggest phrase right there is I'm tired, exhausted. How motivated am I in that condition? Zero. The motivation for doing this stuff extinguishes very, very, very quickly. Doesn't matter what I've won in the past. Doesn't matter what the accolades are. Doesn't matter I did an ultra marathon. Doesn't matter I got this trophy. Right then and there, I just don't want to fucking do the stuff. And what do I do? Step, step, step. One foot in front of the other. That is that fortitude that gets people through. I don't know if you can put that on a Likert scale. I don't know if you can, you know, do a SWOT analysis. I don't know if you can do a, hey, what color is your parachute kind of bullshit. I think you just show up and you try. So. Well, it's, it's mental toughness, and it's not the mental toughness that's taught in a classroom because you can, you can be taught it to an extent. You can be told stories that will inspire you, but like you said, it's the, ment- it's the grind of choosing to do it. And I think David Goggins once said that you got to build calluses on your brain. Yes. And yeah. that's, that's very true. The way my dad always put it was that uh, people need to toughen their mental hide. That's something that always stuck with me. But, you know, it was subject to me to interpret that. And what did that mean? Well, just don't respond to anything, <laughs> which is not entirely untrue, right? <laughs> like, it doesn't, not that that develops the mental hide, but, you know, for a place like, like Bud's and Seals training, um, it very much plays in your favor. You know, if you're the one that doesn't just – calm breeds calm, right? So if I don't react emotionally to a, a situation, other people can see that and be like, okay, maybe shit isn't as crazy as I thought it was. Um, but anyway, you know, the allure of, of buds and the people that make it through and then watching these literally, uh, I do, what were some of the accolades some of our guys had? Do you remember like some of the stuff that, yeah, like football players. And, I mean, I'm talking like NFL hopefuls. Right. There, there was that, there was a uh, college NCAA wrestling champions. There were people who just barely didn't make it to the Olympic qualifying for swimming. There were some people who knew Michael Phelps firsthand. There was a guy who graduated. He had an MBA from Stanford. Yeah. There was a – it was funny because everybody was way more impressive than me. And, um, <laughs> he, and uh, even the guys my age, a lot of them were like, yeah, I won state in X, Y, and Z. And like, okay, well, that's why I was like – like you said, um, you had a problem prying information out of me. Remember you said, we're not leaving the car until we get your opinion. Because I looked around and thought, nobody's going to give a fuck what my opinion is because it's just little old me, you know, like I'm just, uh, and, and maybe that didn't help me too much. Maybe I should have spoke my mind more and just told some, some stories, but. Yeah. So here's the thing with that, right. <clears throat> and this is more of the uh, kind of behind the scenes deal is um, we've got the reputation to worry about. And some of that, again, goes into the maturity aspect of knowing how to play a game. I hate to use this word. I'm just going to use it political, right? You got to be kind of political. It's like, and what does that mean exactly? So not glad handing and saying, hey, man, how's it going? Being a good dude, right? Um, 
not making any mistakes if possible. When you do make mistakes, own up to them. Not trying to be super cool with everybody, but still being kind of, you know, unique, I guess, in your own way. Um, I think we're kind of, it's just hard to put into words, man. Like, this is actually making me really think because we had guys that were not, I think, you know, quote unquote, good dudes that, that made it through. And we had some really good guys that, that didn't. And a lot of that was based on reputation. So that's kind of something that, that ended up working against you is you know, just like a solid guy. That's why I wanted your opinion, you know, cause I saw like how we ranked our guys and I saw the mechanisms that promoted that, which again is as long as you're you, Angie are in the out group and I'm pointing at you and saying, look at that piece of shit. Nobody's looking this way. Nobody's looking at this guy didn't bring batteries. This guy didn't bring this equipment. And as like, in a, again, like a leadership position, I'm like go, going around and checking these things in people and making sure that I'm good. And I'm noticing, hey, man, you didn't do this. Hey, man, you didn't do that. Right. But they don't get noticed. What people are noticing is a squeaky wheel, which uh, how that comes about and why is a weird dynamic. But I think it starts with one visible mistake. People see that thread and they start pulling on it. I think that's what ended up happening with you later on. It wasn't a physical capability thing. Mentally, you're obviously there. I know you to be a good dude, but I saw this discrepancy between how other people viewed you and, and what I saw. Um, no, and, and, I, and I did have my flaws, no doubt. We all do. the, 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 the part that pissed me off was, yes, I was under the microscope and you found all these things wrong. You're like Maybe I forgot to stencil a piece of gear that, you know, or what have you, um, forgot a chem light. What pissed me off was if, if anyone else was under that same microscope, what would they find? Right. And that was the big question that, that everybody was scared shitless to answer. Right. And, it's, and so they wouldn't. Right. So how do you get to that point? Right. Well, we don't really know. Sometimes it's luck of the draw. That's where the luck factor really starts to come into play. Um, some people can make that mistake and maybe they're just a funny dude or they had a good reputation or they hung out with a certain clique, right? There's a, there's a confluence of, of force. Oh, yeah. if, if you can, if you can have other people vouch for you, then, then a lot of that goes away. The problem is let's say all of your friends quit or, you, you know, and then no, there's no one left to vouch for you. Yeah. Well then you're that guy. And it was a really weird experience because I was never that guy. I was always, Everybody generally liked me, so it was kind of like a weird experience to have that. Until it comes time to put names on paper. Right. Well, that's – yeah, I get it, man. I completely – again, how do I – what's in it for me, right? So I go there, and we're doing top five, bottom five. <clears throat> you know, it's like who, who legitimately should be in these locations, um, in these positions. I mean, most of the time, like somebody's always going to be there, right? And sometimes it was like, look, almost like a, a, a subjective point scale. Like, okay, like this guy, he made a few mistakes. I won't say any names, but, well, I just won't say it. But, you know, there's guys that we looked at and we're like, okay, man, like you, you constantly are missing things. You constantly are doing this over and over. It's just too obvious that you're not going to be a top performer or a great man, right? So they just have to go there. And uh, it definitely promotes competition. It promotes teamwork, but it also can, uh, can scapegoat guys. And I'll be honest, man. I saw some dudes that I didn't think they were complete shitbags, but I knew they were bottom five material. 
Then you just put those down. You, you know what would be interesting? Because I think they should keep the top five, bottom five. What would be interesting is you would have the option of leaving things blank. So if you have a class of 90 people and you only have a problem with two of them, then you don't, you're not obligated to put three additional names. Well, at some point along the way, they had a, they never, they don't remember them doing the blank thing. But if you put somebody down, it's bottom five, like you, they made you address them. They made you like justify it. Like, why'd you put this guy? And I think it's the guys that understood like, you know, this is kind of, there's a lot of fuckery that goes into this. We're not really low performers there always. You know, we're just putting guys we don't like that maybe have a lot of value to add and typically would. Um, but well, the, then there's the argument of why don't you like them? Or course. why does everybody not like this person? Oh, what, what, maybe, what, maybe there's a good reason they don't like them. Absolutely. There could be a very, very legit reason. Dude, I got placed. I got one time that somebody put me in bottom five and they had a totally legit excuse. Um, it was a thing that happened in Kodiak, you know, with a. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was like, you're right. Like, I, you're totally right. I, I messed that up. And, uh, but he never approached me about it. That bothered me. It, it, it bothered me that he put me there, right? But it bothered me even more that he, like, he didn't even say anything to me. Like, he was just there. It's like, dude, like, you know, let's talk this thing out. But, but, you know, sometimes it's just, that's just the way it is. I don't like that. That's the way it is. Um, but at some point, when I started putting people in, in bottom five, I'd be like, hey, man, like, I'd go up to you, and again, I can't say the names because I don't know if they're in or not, and I want to respect their anonymity. Like, hey, man, look, I had to put you there because of these reasons. You know, but I don't think you're a bad dude. So don't think that like, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy, but that's exactly what ends up happening. We put guys in bottom five. They think, well, I'm bottom five. I shouldn't be here. So they, desele- they select themselves out of the rotation. At the same time, though, I've seen that play out to where you have bottom five dudes going to back-to-back Afghanistan tours. They make E6. They make E7. Like, they continue forward. So does something change there? Are they suddenly not bottom five? Well, why are we doing this stuff? You know, East Coast versus West Coast. There are some guys that showed up to East Coast teams with bottom five uh, traits um, and, and, and paperwork. They're no, longer, they're no longer in the pipeline. We know one of them very well. Um, he very early got, got kicked out of the East Coast. So it's, you know, to what extent did this matter? And, uh, and you know, why, why do we do it to begin with? So I don't know. I've just seen the, I've seen the process politically play out to where guys who should not be there were there and they stayed there and it, it was kind of messed up. Right. But, uh, but you know, for the most part, like your reputation was, was okay. Um, and I watched as you went through the same test gates that I did. I think you actually outperformed me for the most part. Um, you know, what was weird is that, uh, so two, class 288 generally hated me, right? But 289 and 290, 290 loved me. Like I was the go-to guy. It was awesome. I never had so much fun. But uh, that's the one where I've, I failed in Land Warfare. Right. Well, so, yeah, so Land Warfare, by the way, for, for everyone else, is um, that's after Buds. You know, you're in SEAL qualification training, SQT. And uh, it's right before jumps. Well, it, at the time, it was, well, I don't need to go into the different training things, but it's near the end. It was, I, I was literally less than 48 hours away from passing basic training command. More or less, right? Yeah. So right, right near the bitter end, and you had very little after that, and then you're done. At that point, it's like 99.999. You're, you're making it. You're no, everything after that is advanced training command, where if you just fail it, you just – you're. I mean, if you fail jump school, you you're, don't get your wings, but you still move forward, and they'll probably find a way to get you out. But uh, it's not a disqualifying thing. But the number – I've never even – I don't even know how many times, if at all, that's even happened. I don't think that's ever happened. Yeah. yeah. So- 
again, you know, there's certain percentages of, or probabilities that um, after Hell Week, you say like at 60%, 80% of making it or whatever. After pull comp, that jumps up to like 95%. And then for SQT, after the first really two or three, which is, you know, CQC was one of the bigger ones. It's where the guys got a lot of safeties. And then Lamb Warfare. And, you know, we the, the lure around that was, was very legitimate. You have guys like uh, guys that are very esteemed and established. And the advice they would give us is be good in the house and be good in land warfare. Cause that's where, that's where the current battlefield was going. You know, it's like we were getting away from the water. We we're going out to the land and, and we needed people that could shoot, move, communicate and, and stay calm. One of the things from anecdotally that I heard and, and saw later on is what really specialized, you know, steel team six was uh, the guys that just do house front house run house run yeah capability stacks out the ass um lots of money um but really they want to make sure you're good in the house because uh guys lose their minds you know you, you run through a scenario and then you change a wall or you open a door and suddenly like everything's different so i thought it was really really interesting um so you made it what was it i'll just ask the obvious question you know what is it like to to make it to land warfare to go through hell week to go through pool comp to go through land nap to go through all this stuff to fight back on reputations to reach out, to constantly be pushing, and and not make it. It was the most angry I've ever been in my life. And I contemplated taking it out on a select few people there very yeah. violently. And I knew how I could do it. But I knew uh I knew I wouldn't I wouldn't it wouldn't be a very good ending. And so I decided that's not a good course of action. And so I had the intention of doing my time on the ship and then coming back. And what happened with that, which is totally, so let's, let's, let's mention a name of somebody who had to do something like that. Uh, Michael Monsort. He had to come through, wash out, come back. We had plenty of people in our class that do that exact same thing. They came through, didn't make it. They washed out, they came back. So there's nothing against that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a great plan, but that didn't really pan out either. Um, can you talk about that? A little? No. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, so I, I was did my time on the Higgins DDG 76 yeah. cell block 76, we called it. Yeah. And uh, I was a boatswain's mate. I did very good. Um, I, I went on that ship with the intention of being the best, getting every qualification, getting the best eval, giving them every reason to like me and no reason to say no to me. Well, the, the Navy is the Navy. And I submitted my package a few times. A few times they got lost or they got held up. God knows why. Eventually, towards the end, I started getting more aggressive because my contract was running up. It went through and it got denied. And so I couldn't believe it because the command master chief of BUDS and the, the, sorry, the CEO of BUDS told me that I, I, he wanted to see me back there. Bottom line. Yeah. And so I, I, I had his email still. I did email him. I reached out to him saying, are you sure this is a no? Um, I'm getting out of the Navy soon. I just wanted to make sure it's a sure thing. I didn't want to, you know, maybe you got lost in the shuffle. Maybe you decided against it, but I just wanted to hear it from you because I know you did tell me you wanted to see me back and ultimately it's your decision. Yeah. 
I get a call from the command master chief. Now this isn't, it was a new command master chief who's currently there. Uh, the old one is the one I dealt with who he uh, is extremely well known. Um, I, I won't use his name, but it, you, I, I don't know if probably rhymes with, you can't say that. Okay. Well, well, that. <laughs> so, he's, he's, so the reason I do that, man, is, um, you know, these guys are still, they're human beings. They're still alive. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, I don't want to throw shade and I don't, I don't want to allow others to throw shade as well. That's, that's not what this is about. Okay. Talking about, right. So it doesn't matter to everyone listening that, that what his name is. Okay. Yeah. I got you though. I know you're well, talking. He, he told me I had big brass balls for standing up to the CEO. So that was, that was really nice to hear. You get a command match chief of buds to say that to you. That, that made me ecstatic, but there was a, this was a new command master chief and he called me and he wasn't very happy that I emailed the, the CEO and he wanted to inform me that this is not how the Navy works and I have a chain of command. And it was a very one-sided com- conversation up until I told him, I totally understand and he's absolutely correct but I'm getting out in a few weeks. And so I have nothing to lose. And so it doesn't, none of this matters anymore. That's the matter. And then it, I'm sorry, go ahead. And then, then, then the, the conversation got a lot more casual because it was more of a, just a man to man. And he was understanding. And he told me that we're not going to, We're not going to give you a, a written piece of paper saying you're guaranteed to come back. You just have to shoot your shot, essentially, and you have to risk it. And I wasn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't not willing to risk it, uh, because in my mind, if I were to enlist another four years, just submitting a package again, one um, if I don't make it, then I'm just a boatswain's mate the rest of my life, and I'm bitter and resentful, and probably take it out of my junior sailors, <laughs> but. uh Eventually, that was a, a week or two later. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have the the people. I mean, I was in the parking lot, getting uh discharged, and the senior chief of land warfare, he contacted me, and he said that the command master chief would write me a letter of recommendation yeah. to come back to buds in my next package. Okay, so the- and that. The master chief you previously mentioned the the name I have to edit out. That's the one we talked to you on the phone with. No, this is a, this is a different one. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, but still, he he, you're like, hey man, it, it, it's so funny, like the way we interact with people and how it influences and interact with us, right? You're like, look, I'm getting out, you know, but I want to stay in. Like, what, what's the deal? You guys want me or not? Right. That that that's like almost verbatim what I said. Yeah. And he's like, respect. Oh. And I was very respectful about it, and it wasn't a ultimatum of, you know. It was, it was really, it was really delicate because I had to convey that message without sounding entitled. It was, it was more curiosity. Yeah. Like, do like genuinely, do you still want me or not? Yeah, because, like, because I'm leaving and if, and if, and if I'm leaving and you don't want me, that's fine. But I just wanted to hear it from you guys. Yeah. You want a closure. Right. You want to know what your options are, but the option, but what they came back with was, we'll give you a letter, read between the lines. Like, you know, nothing's guaranteed because they, they're not the test gate. That's the, that's kind of the cool thing about it. 
is it doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter how cool everyone thinks you are. Um, there's a process of, it's a little bit of a good old boys club, but no one person can say you're going to make it through no matter what. I'll guarantee you that part. I do like about it. That part's a great equalizer. Um, no, no, no. It, it, this wasn't a, you'll get through no matter what it was. Know, it was am a, I going to get my shot? Yes, right. So it was the guarantee that you were going to get your shot. Right. But at that point, yeah. like, like the, when you see the white light at the end of the tunnel, you know, whether that's making it through the program or whether that's you're about to get out after retirement or you're just on your way out. Um, that can be kind of alluring. It can be kind of, uh, kind of intoxicating in a way. It's like, there's freedom there. We think, right. Mm-hmm. There's, there's the end, there's the exit, there's the gate that says Navy and there's the gate that says civilian veteran, uh, resources, school, fuck, you know, grow my hair, I grow a beard, you know, <laughs> well, fucking who cares anymore, you know, because I can have this thing and this experience. Um, one day I would, uh, one day I'll get a chance to, to share like my experience with that. And the reason I'm so passionate about, the exit process, the transition is because it is not the light at the end of the tunnel that we think it is or that I thought it was. Um, And a lot of people I've spoken with, even though we make something out of it, there's something in that transition that is, um, that's lost. I don't know if it's support on the way out or lack thereof. I don't know if it's expectations that aren't met. I don't really know. I'm always kind of just curious about like other people's take on it. So you have this guarantee of getting another shot. It's the only thing in the world that you want. Why did you not take it? The fact that it wasn't, it wasn't a guarantee. It was a read between the lines and enough things happened between the pipeline and my ship where I said, you know, I don't trust you guys. And you, if you can't give me a, a, just a contract again, like what the hell? Yeah. Because, because I got a contract when I was out of high school saying, you know, show up here and you'll be part of class, whatever as long as you meet these qualifications. Right. Like, so I, I get that far in the program and I don't get another one of those. And you know, that's fine if I don't, but don't expect me to reenlist if I'm not going to get a sure thing. That's right. Cause you were facing, so you were, you put in the, you were at the end of your four year initial. Right. And uh, yeah, it's like, so it wasn't a guarantee. When you say read between, what do you mean read between the lines? Cause I, I, I first, when you said that I heard, Hey, read between the lines. You get your shot. You know, just just keep moving forward. But no, you- no, no. It was a submit another package. You know, like go take your PST, get yep. your evals, get a letter from your CO, and in addition to all of that, the command master chief of buds will write you a letter of recommendation. Right. So read between the lines. You got to go through what could be another two year process just to get to buds. Uh, to you know, for everyone else, like because I went from regular quote unquote Navy, I don't like saying that term, but you know, not special forces Navy to buds, and you got to submit a request. You always have to submit a request to let your command know what you're doing, and they can very casually anybody on that chain of command from LPO up to CO, any one of them can say no, and then it, it ends there pretty much. Like they recommend no, and the person above them's like, well, why would I recommend yes when this guy's recommending no? So it was no, no, no all the way up, right? No, no's all the way up. Um, or they don't route it at all, which was my first experience. I'm busting my ass. I'm just flawless in, in pretty much everything. I'm acing the PSTs. You know, everyone's like, dude, you got what it takes. You got what it takes. I put in a package. Uh, two months later, I find that package in the drawer of my chief's desk. He hadn't even signed it. So uh, 
yeah, that's, that's another hurdle potential. So that's what I hear you saying now. Okay. I got you. So what, what they're saying is read between the lines, you may have to spend another two years and that part is definitely not, not necessarily another two years, but let's say I submit the package and it still comes back. No, that's what I'm saying is your command. Right. Your command could easily say, no, man, we need you for manning. And what's that workup plus deployment plus coming back plus cleaning up shop look like about one to two years, you know, easily. Yeah. And they, they hold on to you. That's what almost happened with me. And the reason I say two is because, you know, if you come in and you've got something to prove and you're at your first command, uh, you have to do two years. They can waive a year of that off actually, which they end up doing for me. And I got very, very lucky. Um, but they, they could say, no, keep you for two years before they possibly would even want to sign off on anything. And that's, yeah. that is the way the wind blows. That is the season. That is the luck of the draw. You get a CEO that gives a shit or you don't. You get a command master that cares or you don't. It's completely outside of your control. So you get to the end of your four years. You're like, you know what? I, I just, I want to go back, but this process is not guaranteed. And uh, something else is guaranteed, which is I can get out and, and start living my life. What was that like? What was that initial exit like? And what did you do with it? Oh, it was, it was weird. Um, so I could, I could sleep in past seven. You know, it was a, I, I didn't feel lost. It was a, how, how did I put it? I had a phrase I coined. It's not that I had no place to go. It's just that I had no place that I had to be. And so it was a really nice feeling. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I kind of did a lot. I, I took a few months off. I went all over Eastern Europe with my buddy, David. Uh, he, he's an old high school friend of mine. And we wanted to do a backpacking trip throughout Europe after high school. But because of, I had to leave in the Navy and he had to leave for college. We didn't have enough money to do it in between then. And he was, he just graduated college. I just got out of the Navy. He was going to go to graduate school and I was going to go to college. And so we didn't want to wait another four years. Cause he said, one of us is going to have a kid and go figure it was me. But uh, <laughs> so we did that. We did it uh, one month. We went into Germany, into Poland, into Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Turkey, and then ended up in Israel. And the neat thing about the trip of how we did it was it was totally unorganized. The only thing we had to do is we had to get to Israel because we had a, we bought the plane ticket coming back. So we had to find our way we had like a month to get from Berlin, Germany to Israel. Plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and never, and all of the little adventures in between, but, uh, so I did that. That was a month long. Yeah. Uh, then I, I enrolled in my local college, you know, UW Fox, year and a half there, then transitioned into UW Madison. And I had a whole bunch of odd jobs along the way. I worked at uh, Experience Fitness Gym. I worked at a few bars, bartending, bar backing, bouncing bars in Madison. And now I ended up at KBX Logistics. Yeah, so that's that's the uh... – the current situation is you have your bachelor's in economics. Yep. Sounds like a really good company. And you have a lot of responsibility. Like you were in charge of what, 50 trucks? Yeah. 50 drivers. Yeah. 50 drivers and, and, and doing like uh, I guess kind of like fitting in the route, but can you 
You want to talk about that a little bit? I'm actually really intrigued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so you imagine like take take one driver, right? And he has to know his weekly schedule. So he's got to go from Portland, Oregon to Roseville, California, and then from Roseville, California to we'll say San Diego, and then you have to get him from San Diego maybe to Arizona or to Salt Lake City, Utah, back up to Washington, back down to Portland, and just keep him going. Well, you do that with 50 drivers, and then also on each individual load, you know, like in a week, they might have three or four different loads. And the delivery date or the pickup date might change, or a load might cancel, or a driver might get sick, and then you have all these loads that were planned on them, and you have to fit them in with other drivers. So you have to push and pull things around or have people drop things off or stage loads. And so it's all these different timelines and it's kind of like a puzzle and the pieces keep changing. So it keeps you busy. Sounds really dynamic. Yeah. About it. it sounded like, okay, cause you know, life happens, people get sick, you know, roads close down, lifts don't make it, trucks break down, you know, all sorts of stuff, right? Well, it's like the, the wildfires would, uh, held up a lot of drivers. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So are you like the, uh, what's your, what's your, I guess, uh, where are you at in the, like in the chain of command? You know, are you like the one guy that dispatches or is there like a team of you? No, I, I work with the dispatcher okay. and I, so we're a, we're a brokerage. So what we do is we work with the factories and then we work with carriers and we, we match up, uh, drivers or carriers with certain loads. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for, for all of that really. I mean, if you look, if you walk into any store whatsoever, and you see the, the plethora of all the options available. It's like, well, how do you think we get that stuff there? You know, it's, it's not all trains. A lot of it is, is, is trucks, trucks and drivers. And a, a lot of, I mean, I've seen like, they have these, the things on the back of the trucks that like for, for, uh, I guess the aerodynamics, like a lot of, a lot of science goes into this stuff too. Actually, yeah. um, speaking, speaking of not knowing how important certain things are, or just to- like not thinking about them, it's just, you know, of course it's there. It's in the store, right? Uh, one, there was a load that I was doing and it was falling behind and it was marked extremely important and it was toilet paper. Yeah. And I, th- I thought, and, and like everybody, everybody and their mother was on this email tracking this load. I, I go, oh, so my boss said, why is this, why is everybody making such a big deal? It's just a few days late. It's toilet paper. And he says, well, you don't understand. It's going to a prison. When they run out of toilet paper, they riot. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, you don't think about that, but that's true. There's a book called Treeconomics, and I think they made a, I think they did a follow-up with it, and it's all about stuff like that. It's like all these statistical probabilities, but like then like the real-world implications this stuff has. I would never have thought that, you know, and like I would never understood that there's lives on the line uh, based on whether or not toilet paper gets delivered to this prison. So stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's really interesting. So you got your degree. You got a. It sounds like a, a good job. You know, you showed me your, your setup the other day, and he's got like I don't know, fucking twenty flat screen. <laughs> There's three monitors. Yeah, I got three monitors there, and uh... so you got your uh, you got your your little setup, and uh, it dude, it seems like you have a a nice life now. Like you have you got a wife. Yeah, and, and I got a wife. I got a kid. I've got a house. We moved into the house just in time from COVID. So we moved here at the end of March and thank God, because I don't know how I would have done it being stuck in an apartment, oh, but a, uh, and I understand like a lot of people do, sure. but I, I've, I'm still looking around the house and I can't believe 
this is mine. I feel like this all of my shit is in someone else's house. <laughs> uh, it's it's nice to you know it's it's the layman's term of the American dream, in my opinion, is doing better than your parents. And right now, I'm growing. I'm raising my kid in a house that's much nicer than the one I grew up in. So I feel very fortunate. Thoughts on being a dad? Oh man, it's a, obviously it's, it's a lot of responsibility. I forget I am a dad sometimes. Like it's just, you can't believe it. Um, There's this little guy, you know, but usually babies don't really like me because I'm, I always hated holding them because you're afraid you're going to break them. You know, like they're like really delicate. Turns out they're not. Yeah. I throw them up in the air, you know, make goofy faces. Uh, I never changed a diaper before because I thought that was just really disgusting. And, you know, there's, there's a lot going on there. And, but the, the best analogy I heard it was when, it, when it's your kid, it feels like you're just picking up dog shit. <laughs> like it's like, like, oh, okay. Yeah, that was a messy one. Right. <laughs> it's, at some point, it, it just becomes a new normal, I would imagine. Yeah. Like, like now it's to the point where I don't really remember not having a kid. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't – we have a good baby, too, granted. He generally sleeps through the night. He doesn't cry unless he wants a bottle or a diaper change. Yeah. He's a good kid. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I want – we were thinking we want three more. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Big family. Awesome. Yeah. You guys both decided this or you're kind of pushing the charge on that one? No, no. Uh, we both, we both agreed four is good. Mm-hmm. For sure. Three. But did you, did you grow up in a large family? Like do you have a lot of, no, birth- no, it was just me and my sister, but on my mom's side of the family is huge. So my grandpa grew up on a farm and he has 17 brothers and sisters. 17. I'm just going to sink in for a second. Yeah. 17 brothers and sisters. We have, that's a platoon, like actually. <laughs> well, child labor was cheap. That's you right. Know? Yeah. And uh, my, my mom has two brothers and a sister, but my dad's side of the family was extremely small. Mm-hmm. And so just looking at the two options, I, we had a lot, there was a lot more fun to be had on the big family. Cause there's always something, there's always a birthday. There's always a basketball game. There's always something. Some, one of my buddies I was talking to, we were talking about just the ability to socialize and how important that is from an educational standpoint. There's so much more to the educational environment than your ability to learn and the teacher's ability to teach. It's a socialization aspect. So you think about it, it's like somebody that's maybe homeschooled and I'm being very generalized and stereotypical here, but um, they're typically a little bit weird, right? Like they're <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, one of my good friends, Max, is he was homeschooled up until sophomore year of high school and he fully agrees. There's like, it's like a homeschool club because all the homeschool parents get together and say, all right, play together. And they're all a little off. Yeah. And that's just because they don't have the social socialization. And I wonder what that is, because I think you can, a lot of that seems is genetically determined, right? Like if mm-hmm. you have the socially outgoing parents, you're going to be more social, more inclined yeah. socially, social. Now there, there is a lot of benefit to homeschooling. I, I thought I let, I read somewhere where they actually outperform on average. 
don't know. Like yeah. via test, testing. Uh, mm-hmm. They probably have a lot more opportunities to be flexible with their schedule and go see interesting things. I'm not, I'm not knocking homeschooling. No, no, no. Uh, but but no. there is the – you don't get the socialization. You will not unless you – I don't even know. Like put them in intramural sports or something. But even then, that's only a little bit. But like if we if – we... And I'm just totally speculating. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not knocking homeschool. I'm sure there's there's people at homeschool that do great. If you look at it, one of the advantages it could be is they did this they did this study, and it's the Pygmalion effect. And what that means is these teachers had a group of students, and at random they were told that these five students are above average intelligence. They called them bloomers, right? They said these guys are good. You know what they found out? Based and they didn't have anything substantiate this whatsoever. They had a bullshit test they made up. And they didn't even score it. It was just complete random, right? So you're in, a, you're in a room full of 20 other kids. And and you and five others are picked to be the bloomers. You know what they found out is what the teachers would do is they would help help those students shape the answers. They would be more uh, – have a more positive affect towards them. They would give them more time to answer than the other students. They would spend more time working with them than other students. So what happens with these, these kids that are bloomers based off of nothing whatsoever? They end up outperforming. They get better jobs. They score higher. They're happier, higher quality of life. It's like the, the Matthews principle. What's the Matthews principle? I'm not aware. So it's, it's a biblical and economic term. And it's a, you, you find this in laws. It's like the law of the universe because there's, it, you find it in many different things. And it goes like this, roughly. Those who have everything, more will be given. And those who have nothing, more will be taken away. And so what that means is when you start to succeed, more opportunities present themselves and more people have faith in you and you know, more you'll be given more things. Uh, when you start to fail, you get a bad reputation and more, you know, we'll say you're under the microscope. You're in the bottom five and, and more and more will be taken away from you. This stuff is, well, what do you think about that? Agree, disagree. Well, Well, it's, it's very, it's very true. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll find that hell you find that in stars, like, you know, a star will co- collect things and like it creates more gravity and it just keeps attracting more and more. Um, you'll, you'll find that, I think we covered it in the, the pipeline, but you'll, you'll find that in your, your job too, or, or your, the bloomers, right? They were, they were given this opportunity. They were told you're great. But we're in the reason being why it starts is irrelevant. We'll say it's made up, but the, the teachers will start paying more attention to them and shaping their answers. And because of that, they, maybe they get a better education. Maybe they actually they become what a bloomer should be. And people, other people recognize it and they treat them differently yeah. and, and more and more and more. What's important to note about that though, is that you are still in charge of your own destiny. So it's not just, well, woe is me. I, I lost. So fuck it. Just might as well give up. So no, no, no. Now that you understand that, right. like put it on pause and recorrect because all it takes is one small step in the right direction and then it's a slightly larger step and before you know it, you're, you're making strides. I completely agree. I was going to bring up Rocky because that was obviously a big influence for you, a huge one for me, especially Rocky Four. right? Oh, that yeah. Montage? Or actually, yeah, yeah the, the montage after Apollo Creed dies. Um, dude, I play that in my head over and over and over. And it wasn't, you know, sometimes it'd be the Rocky scene 
um, as it played out. Sometimes it'd be my own life. I would see myself as the times that I succeeded, failed, the people I met, that they're no longer around or they are around or whatever. A lot of that was, you know, very appreciative, a lot of gratitude and very motivating, extremely motivating. We talked previously um, in the other discussion about the hero's journey. That's something that's pervasive across cultures. There's something ingrained in us to want to overcome. But there's also this phenomenon like self-fulfilling prophecies, right? If I tell you you're a piece of shit and this guy tells you a piece of shit and I get over here, I'm like, dude, can you see what this piece of shit did? You, there's a strong likelihood that you will start to believe that you are a piece of shit and you will act like a piece of shit. We had a new guy. He was a new guy at the time. I ended up having to make, not having to, I ended up making amends to this guy because I was very, very mean to him. Very mean to him. And uh, I said, man, I apologize for, for treating you that way. It was a little much. But, you know, one of the things I did was we would group together, the older guys, and just we just rip you guys apart. And he goes, something about you guys doing that made me want to fail. And I was it, it clicked like it never had before. If we rewind that tape back far enough to little kids, right? And we start talking about implications for, you know, the educational system. People think, I used to think the educational system was, we try to teach the same way to all students. Well, yeah, that's obviously a fundamental flaw, right? We're not all meant to be math wizards and fucking STEM experts. Some of us are just going to be able to throw a football, three football fields and, and run 40 meters as quickly as possible. And that's okay. It's a different type of intelligence. What we're missing, I think, is that developmental aspect when you, when you forecast forward. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you're willing to give up a lot to get it. And that process itself may not be what's intended, right? It's very, it's very complex. It's very com- These are very complex ideas, but how can we communicate that simply to little kids, to little Andrew, right? Andrew's four years old, five years old, right? Has his dad traits of, you know, pigeon toed and, and full of piss and vinegar, right? And how do you tell this kid that, you know, he's being made fun of maybe, by the other kids like hey man that doesn't mean anything right now how do you communicate that like what do we do with that um and then as an adult and that's something i found myself struggling with is i believe i'm the biggest piece of shit i believe i'm the loop dude i woke up this morning and i had innumerable ideas of why i suck as a human being it's it's crazy i'm literally feeling like garbage i had to text like three different people i'm like hey man i hope you're doing well you know here's where i'm at today like i feel like a complete loser but anyone on the outside looking back would be like, dude, you're about to get your master's. You're a Navy SEAL. You've got this nonprofit. Like you give a shit about people. You love people. And I have to, I have to remind myself of that too. So I completely agree. There is a way to overcome this stuff. And a lot of that can be promoted, I think, early on, man, by people that just believe in you. And I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but this is extremely important. We have people killing themselves every single day. And, um, you know, the tragedy that, that imparts on, on families, you know, the cost, the emotional toll that takes. We had a guy last semester killed himself. He was a veteran. You know, ultimately we're talking about veteran suicides, but, but just suicide. Yeah. Right. So that's why we hark on what's the transition process. That's why we hark on, hey, get out of the nature. He mentioned backpacking in, in, in Europe. Dude, yeah. it's like, I think there should be a, I wish we could have more options available for people getting out to be like, hey, Let's clear the battle space. Don't, don't go with just school or job. You know, here's an organization that's going to help. If you want to go, I want to hike the Appalachian Trail at one point. Leslie, Leslie hiked the fucking Pacific Crest Trail, dude. 
2,500 miles south to north. Uh, just what kind of hardships and, and, and people and, you know, great times and shit times. And, like life happens along the way, right? And what, the, what is the formative process of all this stuff? So I, I can't say enough about the human potential. You exemplify that in a lot of ways. You never gave up. You never quit. You have this thing that you're, uh, using your words, ashamed of, which is something I think you should look at. Um, I don't think you should be ashamed of it. If you put it to a different perspective, you made it past 99% of people that come through that program, um, but it wasn't meant to be. Maybe that happened because you wouldn't be put in a position to where you're dead now. Maybe it happened because you wouldn't be in a position to pull the trigger and whoops, it accidentally, because of blue force picture deconfliction or lack thereof, went to somebody else's head that's a friendly. Maybe, you know, you were meant to be this dude that takes over this company, right? So like, we don't know. More will be revealed. So I would right. say, take, a look, take another look if, you, if you're willing. And if, we can always talk about this stuff. It doesn't have to be right now either. Because actually, I got to wrap this up. And, and, <laughs> uh, but take another look at that. And I would implore anybody else that listens, you know, maybe take another look at and examine your life. Socrates said, an unexamined life is a waste. Take a look at your life and the things you're ashamed of. Really take a good look at it and question it. And what we find, what I found, and I have to do this every day, is a lot of this shit crumbles under the pressure of our own questions. If we're willing to pressure it. So what do you want to follow that up with? (laughs) (laughs) Can you? Well, um, you're absolutely right. People don't, they don't need... They need such little encouragement. That's what's so sad about it. It just, it, it just, it doesn't take much. But like, I, it's weird because there's this stigma of you can't ask for it or you can't talk about it. Like I've, for some reason, even right now talking to you about this, like I feel like a like a wimp. Like, well, I I feel like the guy shivering in front of the instructor just talking about it. But it's real, and people do need encouragement. Not much, but you just need a little bit every once in a while. Unless you want to get rid of him. Like, if you just want that guy to go away, then, yeah, don't give him any. But is that a good idea? Yeah, well, you take aside the selection phase bullshit, the circumscribed, like, this is how we're doing things. You look at it just life in general? Yeah, yeah just life in general. Yes, can't, can't, can't. You can if you want to, right? And most people do because we've got a lot of shit going on in our lives, right? Can't sit there and coddle and I don't, you know what? Coddle's not the right word. Sorry. I, I, I regret saying that. Can't sit there and tell you like every single day, all day, but sometimes you can. Sometimes if I remember that I feel this way and you're coming to me and you're saying, hey man, I've got this thing going on. I'm like, dude, tell me about it. Like, seriously, like, let me hear what you have to say. You know, yeah. iron sharpens iron doesn't necessarily mean two hard motherfuckers come together and, and harden each other. What or just, or yeah. just knowing that you're appreciated. That was one of the big lessons I, I learned from one of my general managers. He says, you, you have no idea how much people will go the extra mile if they know they're appreciated. Yes. Thank you. That, that, that sums it up perfectly. Somebody that does a little favor, a small thing. Hey man, hope you're doing well. Just thinking about you. Dude. Yeah some of the best leaders that I've had the opportunity to work with were the guys that were, they weren't the smartest, toughest, blah, 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 blah. Like we can't rally around that. Like it's nice and kind of cool, 
but the ones that were the best were the ones that are like, they admitted when they were wrong, you know, they, uh, they acted instead of, they didn't tell you what to do. They expected of themselves what to do and you just follow suit. That's yeah. And, and, and I'm not talking about the, the generic company wide email, like, thank you for X, Y, and Z. Nobody gives a shit about that. I'm talking about you're at your desk and maybe you're, you're there a half hour late. Everybody's there half hour late because everything's on fire and your boss just slaps you on the back and says, PD, thanks for staying late, man. I appreciate that. So simple. Like, so, yeah. it, it immediately makes everything go away. Yeah. yeah. How often do we do that? I mean, dude. I'm, I'm no, actually, um, I don't think you've heard this story. All right, so the part of Buds that I sucked at was ruck running because it was the one thing I didn't train for because I didn't know it was a thing, right? So shame on me for that. Anyway, I was horrible at it. And so our first phase proctor, who we won't say the name of, but he's also extremely well-known. Yeah. Um, and he was an excellent runner. Savage. And, and he was an excellent ruck runner too. But I was falling behind. And people were passing me, and it was in the soft sand. It was like three miles. It was a mile and a half there, a mile and a half back after the old course. And I was just feeling sorry for myself. And I really honestly, truly thought I was giving it my all. And I was never the one to be in the goon squad but I was just, people were starting to pass me and he started, you know, way behind everybody else. Cause he liked to laugh or laugh everybody, but he's coming up by me and he's, he very calmly says, don't let me pass you. Yes. And so I said, okay. And, and so we're running side by side and he starts picking it up and I pick up and we start passing people together and we, we make it around the lap and we're just, we're striding now and it's on the way back. And he says, don't let me pass you. Last half mile, we're sprinting. We're like all out sprinting. I'm passing people I didn't dream of passing before. And I just remember, I'm going to put that story on pause. Bruce Lee, I always think of this quote whenever I think about the story. Bruce Lee once said, at least one time in your life, train with the will to die. And there, I do have, I have two flashbulb memories. One was that day and one was, a day where I ran the half mile in track and I got my fastest time I ever got. Um, but I, and there was one time in hell week. So I have three, three flashball memories when this happened, but you know, something overcame you and I started to me and him were just racing and I started to pass him and he, he just said, that's it. That's it. Keep going. And, and you, and you know, this guy, like he would never say that to someone. And the fact that he said that, and I just flew. And I never ran that fast, like, I don't think in my life. But uh, in, in like, he didn't have to do that. No. And it was really weird because he has that reputation of being cold-hearted and sadistic. But there was that one example where he went, looking back, he went out of his way to help me. Why do you think that is? Why do you think somebody who's cold-hearted and different would take even a millisecond for somebody who clearly is underperforming and motivated? I, I mean, there's there's a few reasons. Maybe maybe he used to be that guy. Maybe you know. Maybe, maybe there was a time where maybe he wanted to see what I was made of. Maybe I have a notion of a, a gut instinct of something else. What's that? It's hard to put into words, but I, can I share a story real quick about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It? 
I still go constantly deal course, you know, just, oh my God, it would be like a one to four ratio almost pass one time, fail four times or whatever it needed to like get through, barely, barely get through by like seconds to make it to the next phase. But dude, I just, I was horrible at it. And uh, he came up to me. <laughs> I don't know why this stands out to me so much, but it's one of those, like the guy genuinely gives a shit, but just in his own way. Right. He goes up to me and he's checking my stuff. He looks at me and goes, Hey, did you pass the O course? Because I just retested and barely made it. <sighs> barely made it through first phase. I said, who are your instructor? Blah. He's like, nice. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that, like the guy as well just hugged me and said, oh, I'm so proud of you. And like, oh, you yeah. did a good job. He's a family man. But the, the gut notion that I had is um, he understands a struggle. And he sees something in... I believe individuals that is a potential that we don't realize in ourselves. I think he's very much, I very much admire this guy. I wish I could say his name. Um, yeah. He's Proctor and hopefully he can do the math. Lots of respect for this dude. Um, and in light of everything that came out recently uh, about this individual, that's why I hold that opinion of him very highly uh, above all else. Fully support everything he's got. And he's seems like he's, uh, he's doing really well with everything. So, Oh yeah. Uh, the answer to, and, I'll never forget. And to wrap this up, because I got to get going. Um, okay. First of all, first and foremost, thank you for coming back to this thing. Somehow, like you and I talk for fucking, we talked for hours in the past, and and this time it's it's somehow even more cool to have you on. <laughs> so I love hearing your story. Um, there's a lot of hope there, dude. It's great to have somebody who's just kind of been through the shit, and you know, like you're doing the best you can with it and you're doing great with it. So thank you for coming back on. And the last thing is the same individual we're talking about. He put a quote, I'll never forget it. It was the first day of first phase. He put a quote by Thucydides and it said, we're all more or less alike from one man to the next, but he who is best is trained in the severe school. I think that severe school and that depth of understanding comes from hardship. You've had quite a bit of it. I know I've experienced some of it. And for anyone else that's listening, that's going through it or has been through it, Number one, come share. Number two, uh, I want to hear your story. Number three, you're not alone. You're not alone ever, ever. Um, do you have any uh, causes you want to promote? I know you mentioned Fallen Outdoors. Yes, uh, TFO, the Fallen Outdoors. It is, it's a group, uh, my buddy Mike Haifman leads it. It's, a, it's similar to Climb 4, but it's more geared towards um, like hunting and fishing, right? Okay. Yeah. And so if, if you have any inclination of just wanting to get into it or you want to clear your head, highly recommend it. They've got, I think they've got an Instagram group, but for sure, Facebook group. I think that's their primary organ way they communicate. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's, I highly recommend it. Um, if you're in Wisconsin, look for Mike Hafman, uh, Fallen Outdoors on Facebook. Awesome. But it's, it's all over the country. Right. I will throw that on the show notes and uh Dude, love to love to meet these guys. You know, if you're if you're listening to Fallen Outdoors, hey, you know, more than happy to reach out, connect, see what we can do, uh, continue to serve veterans. So, with that, Pete, I'll, I'll end it. And again, thank you so much for jumping on the show with me. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please read the show notes for any links or other amplifying information mentioned or used in the production of today's show. Climb Four is a registered 501c3. To purchase merchandise, contribute donations, or to apply for hiking camping equipment. Or to send us a message, please visit Climb4 at www.climb-4.org. That's www.climb-4.org.
www.climb-the-number4.org. And if you're a veteran and wish to be on the podcast, please send an email to info at climb-4.org. Once again, that's I-N-F-O at C-L-I-M-B-the-number4.org. See you next time.